Burlesque Stripped Down, episode number 45. Once again, my friends and colleagues and comrades, this is Velvet Eau Claire. I am your guide through all of the secrets, saucy, sexy, and often less than sexy secrets of us, the ladies, gents, and non-binary folk behind the tassels. And I am super excited to be with you today, finally recording. It feels like there's been a lot of... um, The the technological cards have been stacked against me lately, we'll put it that way. (laughs) It's one thing after another these days. But I am finally here ready to record this with you, and I'm so excited to be giving you my recap episode of Sex Down South. As you may know, recently I was invited up to Atlanta, Georgia, to visit Sex Down South, which is a uh, a sophomore conference, we'll say. It's their second year, um, promoting sexuality and diversity and all of those things, and I'll tell you more about that in a second. So a huge thank you to the founders, Tia and Marla for bringing me into the conference to be able to report on it. Thank you to everybody who allowed me to interview them and chat with them a little bit and to all the presenters and the keynoters who just made the conference really, really amazing. Um, I have written up my recap. I'm not entirely sure how long this episode is going to go, so I'm going to jump right in so that we don't waste any more time. So as I mentioned, Sex Down South is a sex and sexuality conference taking place in Atlanta, Georgia. It is their second year. And let me read you a little bit from their mission statement on uh, their website. So basically it says, Sex Down South was born out of a desire to create a safe space in the Southeast where folks could explore sex and sexuality. Our focus is intentionally broad, catering to a diverse range of people, from those who are curious but not quite committed, to those who have been around the block and then some. Our mission is to create a sex-positive space for people of all walks of life to come together, explore, connect, and share knowledge and skills. It's your exploration destination for all things sex and erotic. And it goes on to talk about the goals of fostering learning, inspiration, and wondering, and its commitment to diversity. But I'll leave you with that. And one of the things I loved about this conference is that not only do they focus on that on the website, but on the website, as well as in our welcome packs and posted on the walls throughout the conference, was a copy of their guiding principles. Basically, this list of values that they go into. And it was really just beautiful. I'm going to go ahead and read at least the bullet points of it because it goes into detail of each one. But basically, the Sex Down South guiding principles are there to make sure that everybody has a safe and exciting and wonderful time. So Um, Basically, it says, as an attendee of Sex Down South, I agree that, one, the voices, feelings, and experiences of people of color should be prioritized. Two, I will not assume anyone's gender identity based on their appearance. Three, sexuality is beautiful and so very diverse. There is no shame in our sexualities, and I will not yuck anyone's yum. (laughs) I always love that phrase. Number four, consent and boundaries must be respected at all times. Number five, centering the experiences of survivors is critical to this work. Number six, all relationships deserve the same respect, regardless of orientation or configuration. Number seven, people with disabilities and mental illness have a right to sexuality and sexy spaces. Number eight, all bodies, no matter their shape or size, have a right to pleasure. Number nine, I'll keep it confidential. And number 10, violence, including physical, verbal, and emotional abuse, will not be tolerated. So it was a really great way to really lay out those things. I'm sure they um, they spent a lot of time coming up with these and con- consolidating them into a solid 10. And it was really just a nice way to kind of make sure that everybody was on the same page and had these values at their heart. And it really did feel that way throughout the conference. That was one of my favorite things. It really felt like a very, very, not only a positive space, but a very safe space. Almost all, and I'll tell you all about the workshops that I personally went to, but basically all of the workshops really felt safe to me. I felt like it was a completely um, accepting environment. I, I heard little to none, probably no, um, you know, of these big conflicts. It was people talking things out, perhaps, maybe with differing viewpoints, but still able to talk about them and work them out from a respectful place. So those were the basics of the mission and value of Sex Down South. So I was very excited when I first heard about Sex Down South. Um, I believe it was on, it might have been on Sex Gets Real, of course, one of my favorite podcasts with Dawn Sarah. Um, And they were speaking about it. And I said, oh, well, it's in Atlanta. It's not too far. A lot of the sex um, conferences that I'm interested in, the sexuality conferences, are in L.A. or Chicago or New York or somewhere far away from me. (laughs) So I was really excited to get to check something out nearby. When they said I could come and do kind of a, uh, a media recap on it, I was very, very excited 
to try that out. So we were up in Atlanta. It was the week of October 13th through 15th, 2016. And we were at the Hilton in downtown Atlanta, which was fabulous. Really nice hotel. I had actually been there for Dragon Con a couple weeks ago as well. So um, it was really nice to be back there. It was, a, it was a good location. They had a nice private space for us, which I'll tell you about in a second. Now, the theme this year was called The Politics of Pleasure. And they chose that theme, of course, on purpose, uh, being that it's 2016, we have this huge election coming right up in a few weeks. And basically what Tia and Marla said is that they wanted their presenters to show how our personal politics can affect our sexual lives. In addition, uh, they wanted the presenters to show us how our personal politics can affect society at large and how we as people use love to influence our politics. So it was really kind of a two or three or 20-sided die in this particular situation because we talked not only about politics and this election and these kind of things, but we also talked about talked about some of the politics within the sexuality sphere and everything. So it was really eye-opening on a lot of different accounts, and I loved how a lot of the different speakers kind of approached it in different ways, particularly these keynotes that I'll get into in a second. So those are the basics. We had the mission, the values, the logistic details, and the theme was the politics of pleasure. So when we got to the conference, we had basically the third floor um, was kind of our floor, aside from the the guest rooms and everything. And so there were kind of two areas, and the one area had some of the bigger meeting rooms, and some of which is where some of the keynotes were and everything. And then there was another kind of separate area that was actually curtained off, which was really great because that provided a really safe space for people who wanted to be in various states of undress or to wear fetish gear or things like that that wouldn't necessarily be as accepted in the hotel in general. So it was really nice to kind of have that separate off space. And there was also uh, quite a few vendors um, in that in that kind of um, curtained off area so they could have all of the sex toys and adult products and things like that there. So that was great. Uh, the conference as a whole had quite a few sponsors. The one I do want to mention real quick is the Pleasure Chest. Um, they did a great job of having um, a lot of good information as well. So if you're interested in them, you can check them out. But there were quite a few um, vendors selling their goods um, and some really interesting, interesting goods as well kind of along in that vendor area. Of course, the whole weekend there was also a safe sex booth, an HIV testing booth. I did not actually get the name of the organization that was heading that up. So if you are a part of that, please let me know. Um, But it was they did HIV testing. Um, for free, as well as a whole booth with plenty of, you know, free goodies, condoms, female condoms, lube, all sorts of different things, and a lot of great safe sex information, which is, of course, super important to be doing um, at any conference like this. One of the other things I loved is, at least in the curtained-off section, they did have gender-neutral bathrooms, which, of course, is a huge debate these days. I don't freaking know why, because it's ridiculous, and it was perfectly fine to walk in the bathroom and see just a person, whatever. So I love that they took the time to do that. Um, it wasn't necessarily surprising because at, a, at an open-minded sexuality convention like this, you would assume that that would be there. But it was just a great extra little extra little bit. And I, w- I will say even, you know, especially later on in the evening when it was pretty much us, even in the other bathrooms on the floor, I mean, people were going into whichever bathroom they chose and it was totally fine and accepted once it was just our crew. They also had two really awesome things. The first one was very well publicized, and um, a lot of us knew about it. I didn't spend much time in there, but it was called their healing space. As I mentioned in the guiding principles, they place a priority on kind of healing either from trauma or just from intense experiences. And so I think that um, I'm not sure whether they had this the first year as well or if this was a new addition this year, but it was very clear that the organizers and um, the volunteers knew that there needed to be a priority placed on um, on internal work as well as, you know, this kind of external fun sexuality work because a lot of the topics that were covered could be definitely either triggers or just creating some intense, intense emotional and spiritual changes in you. I'll tell you a little bit. I actually went through a little experience myself. <laughs> um, and so it was really great. They had this healing space with various healers that were in there. They had some massage therapists. They had some energy workers, different things like that. But they also it was also just a space where you could go and just relax on some pillows and blankets for a little bit with some nice essential oils and things like that. So it was really just a nice calming space that was open and gave you the opportunity to just take a breath. There was also something called the flirt room, which, to be honest, this is kind of disappointing to me because I only heard about it once in the middle of the conference. It wasn't really publicized. It wasn't really talked about. But I think it's such a great idea for any conference. Of course, you'd name it something different for a more professional conference. 
but we called it the flirt room. And it was basically somewhere where you could go in. It was like a, they had this kind of um, like clothesline, like spiderweb type thing up on the wall. And you could write a note to someone that you had seen at the conference and clothespin it up on the wall. And then everybody else could kind of come in and see if any notes were left for them. them. It kind of reminded me of the misconnections board on Craigslist. If you've ever seen that, that's hilarious to look through. But it was it was a great idea, this chance for people, you know, if you had met someone in a session, but you didn't have a chance to grab their information, or you thought they were cute, but didn't have the balls to say something, or whatever it was, it was just a really great idea. And I was really disappointed that it wasn't utilized more. So I really hope that that's something that next year can be even uh, kind of more publicized and be more of a point to, uh, to connect. They also had a few film screenings that I saw in the program. I didn't attend any of them because I was uh, more focused on the interactive sessions, but they were screening several films throughout the weekend, which was awesome. And one thing that I love that they did that, again, I didn't get to participate in, but they had what they called brown bag lunch activities. So these, this is something that I've noticed in other conferences as well. People tend to just kind of be on their own for lunch. And if you haven't made any friends, well, then too bad. But um, at Sex on South, they had these kind of organized activities, which were very cool in theory. We were a little bit, um, I don't want to say intimidated, but there was, you know, there was a heavy emphasis placed on, for example, clothing optional and things like that. And we didn't feel quite comfortable going to them. But I like the idea in theory of of having these kind of more organized group activities that you can do for lunch. So that being said, those were kind of some of the general, um, the general things at the conference that were there all weekend. But I'm going to go ahead and take you on a day-by-day kind of breakdown of what I did, at least. These are just my experiences. Unfortunately, I did, there were so many sessions that I wanted to go to. There really were. I, I wanted to make this like, I just wanted to hop from one to the other to the other. But a lot of them, of course, being done at the same time, because that's just the nature of the beast. And also, some of them were more discussion-based, so I didn't feel totally comfortable kind of hopping from one to another. I wanted to make sure that um, I respected the participants that were there and that I got enough value out of all of them. So I mostly stayed in one for the entire time, uh, for the entire period of that session. So when we arrived, um, we had gotten there a little bit late because of check-in for our hotel Um, So we weren't there for the very first sessions, but we did go straight into what I thought was a really great kind of lead in to the whole weekend. And this was a session with Tayomi Morgan, who was one of the opening keynotes, which I'll talk about in a second. But she started off with a little session on Sex Mechanics 101. And this was just really fun. It was a great kind of, like I said, a little starter into the whole the whole weekend. Um, and she basically, she had a volunteer that was up here, up there. And she basically went through some different kissing techniques into some different oral sex techniques and, and sex positions. It was really just a great, you know, nothing like that blew my mind that I hadn't necessarily heard before. But just a really nice way to kind of ease into the weekend, right? So Tayomi Morgan, just so you know, if, if you're interested in checking her out, she is phenomenal. She has a YouTube channel called Glamorotica 101, and she does a lot of really just fabulous um, tutorials and very sexy videos and things like that. So she has a lot of really great advice, and she's a very, very funny, very down-to-earth person as well. And as I mentioned, she went through those kind of different areas of sex mechanics. And one interesting trick that I learned, big takeaway from this one, is the gag reflex trick. Apparently, if you put your left thumb into your, the palm of your hand and squeeze, it's going to turn off the gag reflex. I don't know if it's true. I haven't tried it. But there you go. There's my little takeaway from Sex Mechanics 101 with Tayomi Morgan. So after that happened, we actually stayed in the very same room and we had the opening keynote session. So we got a little welcome from the founders, Tia and Marla. And then we saw a short video from one of the state representatives, Park Cannon. She's a representative um, from District 58, which is where Atlanta is right there. And apparently she was supposed to attend the conference, but she had something, as politicians often do, at the last minute. So I don't know much about Park Cannon, but I did. I loved her video. She had some very, um, very kind, very wonderful things to say. And so this is not necessarily an endorsement. I don't talk a lot of politics on this um, on this podcast, but I did want to read a quick blurb about her because she just um, she seemed very involved in the community and very anxious to help out with these kind of issues. So basically, Park says from her website and from her about page, she says, "I ran for this seat because I represent what is lacking at the Capitol. Women are dramatically underrepresented. We make up 54 percent of the state's population, yet are only 18 percent of the elected officials." The statistics involving African-American women are even worse. 
I have locked hair. I identify as queer. I grew up in a single-parent household that was shaped by domestic violence. I love my middle-class, multi-generational home. I grew up with celebrities' kids and kids who went home to no lights. I was even homeless for a semester in college. I think that where you come from and what you have seen along the way matters, as we are made of these experiences. There is not one District 58. There is a rainbow of experiences and needs. There is not one Georgia. There is a sea of working families and small businesses that need a voice. So I thought that was just a really nice little paragraph. Um, and, and, and she's very true. There's not just one Georgia. There's not just one America. And so as we approach the election season, of course, I always plea uh, to you. We don't talk a lot of politics, but definitely consider those kind of things um, when you're voting. So anyway, so it was it was nice to hear a little blurb from her. I would have liked to have seen her in person, but I understand that scheduling doesn't always make that possible. So then we launched into the actual keynote, um, the opening keynote speech with Tayomi Morgan, which um, her topic was finding your space within sexuality, which was a very interesting. She talked a lot about some um, some very ap- applicable tips, um, things that I love to talk about, things like social media, um, about the kind of the sex industry field in general, especially the sex education for working in this field. So her one of her biggest um, emphasis emphases <laughs> was the fact that there is no competition in this field. So basically, if you if it's something that interests you, if going into the sex education field is pulling you at all, do it. Because in this field, people aren't really trying to compete with each other. There's not like a limit as far as how much it can be. The more we have, the merrier. So that was inspiring to me because it is something that I'm kind of considering getting more involved in. And it's nice to hear from someone who is one of the top um, kind of YouTuber, YouTubers and educators in the field that there is really no competition. So um, she emphasized finding your voice and running with it, which of, of course is something that we talk about here on Burlesque Strip Down quite a bit, quite a bit finding your unique approach to it. Two people can have the exact same message, but have it completely different in their execution, in their message, in their voice. So really important to find your unique voice. And then, as I mentioned, she did talk about some social media strategies as well, which I love because I'm a geek that way about Instagram and Periscope and Facebook and all that good stuff. So very interesting. Um, She has a really great um, vocal styling, a really great uh, approach, public speaking style. So if you get a chance to check her out, again, it's Glamorotica 101 on YouTube. 101 on YouTube. Talking. Whew. So then we had a quick lunch, which was great. We got a chance to kind of talk about, you know, what we thought so far. It was a really nice kind of, like I said, ease in. And then after lunch, I actually decided to go, (laughs) just go, you know, go full on. We eased in at the beginning and then I went full on in. So here's a quick trigger warning for anyone, um, uh, any survivors of sexual assault. But I did go to a session on rape play for queer and trans feminists. This was a really interesting session. I'll put it that way. It was run by Ignacio Rivera, and they are a very cool... I I really enjoyed their approach to to this session. Again, as I mentioned before, most of the presenters created this really, really safe space, and Ignacio was really the first one that I just felt in that session. They created this space that was completely safe and accepting of, of, of everything, of wherever anybody wanted to be. So we started out kind of, they shared shared their kind of story and how they progressed to this and their experiences with things like rape play, or as we like to, as we started to call it in the session, consensual non-consent. If you're familiar with that, with the, you know, the the, the world, the, the sexuality and BDSM and all of that kind of world, then you might be familiar with that term. If not, I highly suggest um, learning about it more and maybe bringing it into your lexicon, consensual non-consent. And so... Then we had a chance to kind of share our stories. We did so in pairs, um, as much or as little as we wanted to. Um, as I mentioned, it was a really safe space. We did share a little bit in the big group as well as we wanted to. And then we talked about a little bit about Ignacio's human sexuality model, which is something that they've kind of created as they do more sex education. And they basically outlined eight different areas of sexuality. And those are curiosity, desire, fantasy, self-pleasure, role play, sex, BDSM or kink, and spiritual intimacy. So it was a really interesting way to think about sexuality because all of those, while they are separate, they do kind of run together and they all come together to create our sexuality. And you can have any or all or none or everything. And, 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 and when we look at them all together, we can talk about play or the present pursuit of consensual pleasure as we were chatting about in the session. And of course, this is also very inclusive of asexuality. Even if those who identify as asexual don't necessarily feel desire, the absence of the desire is also part of this model as well, if that kind of makes sense. So it was a really interesting then kind of discussion we had. 
We then moved into talking about the rape culture that is present in our society, which is a whole topic in itself, and we don't have a lot of time to get into that today. But we just we chatted about the normalization of rape culture, the pervasiveness of the rape culture, and that led into a discussion about rape versus rape play. And so we had the chance, and that was something that had kind of um, interested me from an intellectual perspective. I was, I was curious as far as, especially from survivors, um, I personally am not a survivor of sexual assault, but I, I know that a lot of people who are, are still interested in these types of play. And I was really interested in, in, in hearing some of those experiences. So it was very, very interesting. We chatted a little bit about rape play as well as age play and race play, which are all some things that can be kind of touchy subjects for some people. So that was really interesting. Then we moved into a little bit of the logistics of it. Um, for example, bringing up the idea to someone. How do you tell someone that, you know, hey, can we pretend that you're going to rape me or that I'm going to rape you? It's a little bit difficult, right? And so then the negotiation and having those boundaries and hard limits. Super important. Um, so the logistics were interesting. We also talked about the degrees and forms of the rape play, with or without role play, all of these types of things. So it was an interesting, um, like I said, interesting discussion that was had. We also discussed its healing and therapeutic value, which, again, was very um, something that I kind of wanted to hear about, you know, for for especially for survivors, how rape play for some can be of healing value for them. My biggest takeaway um, wasn't even really actually about rape play uh, from from this session. As some of you know, I've been struggling a lot with guilt in a lot of different aspects of my life. Um, I just feel guilty about everything all the time, pretty much. And Ignacio, I kind of brought that up in one, in, at one point in the discussion, and Ignacio suggested reframing guilt as an opportunity to examine the underlying factors and emotions that are triggering the guilt. So I've sort of started doing that with jealousy, in a sense. I've been doing that lately. I've been kind of like, okay, I see this jealousy, but what's behind it, right? And so I hadn't thought of doing it that way, of approaching guilt in that same way. So that was my, probably my biggest emotional takeaway from that session is that I can, when I start to feel this guilt, instead of focusing on the guilt itself, kind of starting to examine those underlying factors and allow it to be a trigger for further examination, right? So the whole weekend, really, I, I continually kind of kept coming back to that concept and that phrasing, which was really important to me. So I was really glad that this happened kind of at the beginning of the weekend because I was able to take that with me as uh, throughout my personal journey. I do want to add that Ignacio, as I mentioned, they were a very good speaker. I felt very comfortable doing a lot of great work. And some of that work, if any of you listening are survivors of child sexual assault, I highly recommend checking out their HEAL campaign. It's H-E-A-L, and that stands for Hidden Encounters Altered Lives. And to quote from the website, the HEAL project is a project that aims to prevent and end child sexual assault by making visible the hidden tools used to guilt, shame, coerce, and inflict violence onto children. And I know at the, at the um, conference itself, Ignacio was taking um, volunteers, anyone who wanted to share their story, and doing some short private kind of uh, video interviews of those stories to... Um, to share, yeah, to, to and I, I don't want to say to normalize, we don't, we don't want to normalize it, but to get the stories out there. Because as I've said on this podcast, and we talk about a lot nowadays, is that the more we know that we're not alone, the more we're able to speak up and feel comfortable with what's happened to us and come to terms, I guess is a better way to put it, with what has happened to us. And so I'm not sure if they're still taking interviews or would do a Skype or anything like that. But if you are interested, absolutely email me and I will get you in touch with Ignacio. You can email me at velvet at burlesquestripdown.com and I will put you in direct touch with Ignacio to share your story or to hear some of these stories. You can also go to the website heal2end.com and that's the number two. So H-E-A-L 2 E-N-D dot com. Um, they've also got a, uh, a second project within that, and it is called Sex Ed Is. Um, and I thought this one was very interesting as well to talk about sexual education, because as many of you know, the state of sexual education, at least in the United States, is abysmal. It's awful, and it needs to be changed. And so to read again from the website. So Sex Ed Is is, is a social media campaign geared towards young adults and youth parents, guardians, caretakers, educators, sex educators, child advocates, and adults who mentor children in order to discuss their experience, impact, and thoughts on sex ed as a tool to combat child sexual abuse and sexual trauma. 
So again, if that's something that interests you um, and you want to share your story or just learn more about that, you can find that as well on the Heal2, the number two, heal2end.com. So a big thank you to Ignacio. I'm hoping to have Ignacio up on the on the podcast in the next few weeks to discuss their projects as well. So definitely stay tuned for that. And if if we do have that interview, I will link it in the show notes for this uh, episode, which coincidentally will be at burlesquestripdown.com slash sex down south, S-E-X-D-O-W-N-S-O-U-T-H. <laughs> All right. So that was Ignacio. So I definitely left that session feeling very... What's the word? Catharticized? <laughs> like it felt very cathartic. It felt very, um, I felt open, like my mind was opened a little bit. Like I had, you know, learned, I had had this big takeaway about guilt. It was really an awesome, awesome session. So thank you to Ignacio for that. I was really disappointed after that because I was meant to go to El Chase. Um, she was meant to be there and have and have a panel or no, just a session, I think, on embodied consent and the cultural lie of sexual desire desirability, which, right? Like, that sounds amazing and perfect for us as burlesque performers and just a fabulous thing. And so I was really disappointed because apparently she had a family emergency, which I totally understand happens. And, you know, somebody was having a much worse day than me. So it was okay. But I was definitely disappointed because A, that topic sounded amazing. And B, it's El Chase, who is also, if you don't know, the Lady Cheeky, who has one of my favorite porn blogs in the world on Tumblr. Like, it's just phenomenal. It's great. If you haven't checked it out, definitely do so. So I missed my fangirl moment, so I was a little disappointed on that, but I understand that things happen. And so instead, once I realized that that was canceled, I headed on over to a session called Living a Juicy and Orgasmic Life. Mmm, sounds intriguing, right? (laughs) And this session was run by Brian and Karen Craig, And it was a fairly short session. It was only an hour. So we kind of mowed through everything pretty quickly. But it was basically this this idea of taking, um, you know, we we talk a lot about orgasms and, and this kind of pleasure, especially in the realm of sex. But what about in our everyday lives? So we talked about how to increase our juiciness. And I just, I, by the end of the session, I was just loving that word, right? Juicy. We talked about what that means and and what it, it kind of like, what it reminds us of and, and, and what we think of when we hear the word juicy. And uh, Karen suggested kind of a morning mantra uh, every morning. I am juicy and orgasmic. And I just kind of like that. I'm like, ooh, just saying that to myself in the morning. Like that just changes your whole day, right? I am juicy and orgasmic. Mm, mm, so good. So before, yeah, before the workshop, I I really just didn't think much of the word juicy, right? (laughs) I was like, "Mm, juicy, okay, it's like an orange, whatever. But now I kind of like it. I'm going to use it. Mm. Um, In in particular, one of my biggest takeaways, I think, from this session was um, not just the word juicy, but reframing, because we went through the different stages of kind of an orgasm, right? This kind of like, I don't even remember, um, arousal, desire, um, the buildup, excitement. Oh, man, I wish I remembered better. But we went through the different stages. And in the desire stage, I found that very interesting because I typically view desire as kind of a bad thing, right? There's especially coming from, you know, some of the Buddhist meditations I've been doing, right? Desire is typically not seen of as it's seen of it's seen as inevitable, but more something that we need to overcome. Inevitable, but we need to overcome it. So I've always thought of desire as kind of a, a bad thing, right? Like I want my life to be different than it is. I want this. I want that. I want that. But the way we put it in this workshop was kind of cool because we reframed the desire stage. It's just part of the juicing. It's part of that juicy journey, so to speak. And so that was kind of a cool thought. Um, the idea of desire is just part of it. And that's okay. It's okay to be a part. And you can enjoy kind of that, that wanting a little bit as long as you don't let it ruin your life or, or take over. So that was really neat. I loved another one of Karen's quotes was, as women, we really need to see ourselves juicy. Right. We just got to see that, especially as burlesque performers, whether or not sex plays a big role in our performance. It is kind of an underlying bit. And so once we're able to kind of see ourselves a little bit juicier, right, we kind of add in some of that confidence. Hmm. Really interesting. I thought it was really, really fun. So after a quick dinner, we went into our keynote, our evening, our first evening keynote speech. 
which was the sexual politics of BDSM with Sinclair Sexsmith. And I am super excited because Sinclair is definitely going to be coming on the podcast, barring some scheduling. We've actually already tried to record twice, but the first time I had tech issues again, and the second time we had a little hurricane. So we weren't able to record yet, but Sinclair is phenomenal. I was really glad to meet them. We had been emailing a little bit, and to meet them in person and chat with them more was fantastic. And their keynote was really, really interesting. We talked about several different things, which I'll just kind of touch on here. We talked about intersectionality. We talked about kyriarchy. I believe that's how you say it. It's K-Y-R-I-A-R-C-H-Y, kyriarchy, which is, if you'd like the definition, a social system or set thereof built around domination, oppression, and submission. Okay. We talked about, about the ethics of desire. We talked about BDSM versus abuse. We talked about tops and bottoms versus subs and doms which if you're involved in the BDSM community can be a very important distinction. We talked about, oh, this was a big one, normal versus average, right? Normal versus average. And I loved this one. This was probably one of my biggest takeaways. from. Ah, I'm going to be saying that a lot. There were so many good takeaways this weekend. But this is one that definitely stuck with me. Sinclair put up a picture of a bell curve, right, on their, on their screen. And said, typically, we look at normal as being this kind of middle part where the most people are. If you're not familiar with a bell curve, basically looks like a hill, right? There's a little bit on the side, then it goes up and hits a peak, and then it gradually comes down and there's a little bit on the other side. And so we typically think of that middle part, the, the top part of the hill where all the, where all the people are, as normal. But the word normal... If it's on that curve at all, if it exists, it is normal because sh- simply because it is it exists. And then that middle part is more what we should call average, right? Because it is the statistical average. It's uh, more in the middle. I don't do a great job of explaining it. <laughs> they did a much better job and it was a really interesting thought about reframing some of our words. I think that's another thing from this weekend, you know, words are so important and the words that we choose to use. And so if we can use normal less maybe (laughs) and perhaps average because there are moments when we need to explain the fact that something is you know in that more average range but so that was a really interesting kind of topic and and again I I don't quite explain it (laughs) as well as they did so if you want me to kind of dive more into that just let me know um Sinclair also had a lot of great quotes which I'll add some into the show notes for this episode but in particular I liked um the idea of erotic energy as a form of life force it's a radical act to go after what we desire Satisfaction does not necessarily equal quantity. Ooh, that's a big one. Ooh. And prioritizing your satisfaction and going after it unapologetically. Mm, Some real good one-liners there, Sinclair. Nicely done. (laughs) So if you like some of those quotes, I will have um, some shareable uh, social media images with those quotes on them, which you can kind of share away and show all your friends what you're learning. Yay! So Thursday night was the what they called the Little Bang, because on Saturday night was the Big Bang, right? So this was the Little Bang. This was presented by Eroticology and GGG Twice. So basically what happened at the Little Bang was um, there were several of the top erotic poets and exotic dancers um, were featured from around all around the U.S. As they said, it was, be ready to have your mind sucked and your eyes fucked as they take you on a salacious journey. <laughs> and it was. It was great. We had, um, there were several erotic poetry readings from several different poets, um, as well as live art. So we had, there were a couple painters that were up doing some, some paintings right in front of our eyes, as well as some ex- exotic dancers and models that were kind of um, being inspired by the words on the, on the stage to do some movement and everything. So it was really interesting. It was a fun, um, very diverse crowd and it was really yeah it was it was fun we had a good time so that's it for Thursday let me move on to Friday Friday was a big day we did not make any of the morning sessions which I was really disappointed about but in the morning they did have for for early morning people they also had a few things they had naked yoga they had a steels and steel and stilettos fitness class and they had a session on in the healing center about healing sexual trauma through tantra so that was really um, great. I, again, I didn't experience those, so I don't know. But it was nice that they had some of those options for the morning people as well. So the first one I made it to was, this was a big one. This was Exploring Your Sexuality Through the Landscape of Art. Okay, And this was um, presented by Chris Bellos, NAE. I think it's NAE. NAE. 
Anai Lopez Tavera, and Danielle Tidwell. And these three were really fun. We had a small group of us, and we started with a little discussion about art. We talked about right brain and left brain things. And one interesting thing that I learned, and I don't know the scientific backing behind this, but apparently being involved in the arts does create new neural pathways where self-regulation is managed. So I really want to research that more because apparently if we are involved in art, and of course we are all burlesque performers and producers and enthusiasts, so we do participate in this art. And apparently that helps these self-regulation pathways form even more, which is really good for me because I need some more self-regulation in my life. (laughs) So we also talked a little bit about sexual depictions in art throughout history, which was really cool. We saw some different examples of art art throughout history and how it has kind of changed with especially... um, different governments and religions and things like that. And then we were able to kind of, we had the rest of the session, which was a nice long session, to express ourselves artistically. So they brought us a whole bunch of different canvases and paint and clay and pastels and pencils and all of this different stuff. And we had the opportunity to kind of, especially because we had a small group, we could kind of take what we wanted and we had some nice creative essential oils, creativity enhancing essential oils. We had some nice music on, just kind of light in the back. And we had that opportunity to really just express what our sexuality meant to us. We did some deep breathing as we started and went through that. Um, And then we also journaled a little bit about the experience at the end. For me, this was a huge emotional breakthrough. I don't know, breakthrough is a strong word. An emotional cathartic experience. Um, I had an internal... Yeah, an internal moment where some things kind of broke. It almost felt like kind of a dam broke inside for me a little bit. Um, I'm not quite ready to really discuss it because I'm still kind of working through it. Um, So I'm not quite ready to publicly (laughs) work through it. But um, I will say I may or may not have shed a few tears. There were a couple, which is not normal for me. I'm very, you know, I, I had always been very skeptical of especially using art in therapy. It just didn't, I didn't really understand why. Like, I remember one time a couple years ago, a therapist had me like color. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not five years old. (laughs) So I was a little bit skeptical, but I am happy to say that I've kind of changed my tune a little bit. I had this experience and, you know, I definitely, like I said, I had a bit of a breakthrough. So I'm really thankful to those three for facilitating um, this workshop and for allowing me to kind of, learn some things about myself um, in a way that was completely and utterly unexpected. So, um, as I mentioned, you know, exploring our sexuality through art, um, I, I knew would be hugely important to kind of discuss here on the show. And and it brought me, at least personally, up for a new goal, which is that I'm going to try to express myself artistically in some way every day. I know for some of you, it's probably already done. You probably rehearse every day and you're, you know, very artistic people. Me, I consider myself a very artistic person, but I'm also, I spend a lot of time on my computer. I'm very involved in the business aspects of it. And not to say that those can't be artistic, but I think that's something I need in my life. I used to do a lot more of, and I think that's something that I'm really going to emphasize in my life from now on. So that was a big thing for me. Yeah. So that was a great session. I really enjoyed that. All of Friday was just phenomenal. It was a great day. After that one got out, I actually went, there had already, um, I actually went and caught the second half of a uh, presentation by Kink Underground, um, and it was called Kink Let's Get Visual. And um, I I was disappointed to have missed the first half, but again, I was having this, you know, kind of uh, crazy experience. Um, And so I only caught the second half of it, but it was really, really interesting. So Kink Underground really is what it sounds like, right? It's an underground group of people that they actually met at Creating Change, which is a conference in January. I don't know if it's always in Philadelphia, but it's a big LGBT and kind of activist conference. And they met there several years ago. Um, They saw the need for more, I guess I would say, approachable kink education with visual demonstration. And so it kind of started out of this underground kind of teaching thing that happened like after hours or whatever. And and then they've now they've developed and now they're doing a few more workshops at these conferences. And I really enjoyed it because I found that the gang was really approachable. Um, I know for some of you that might sound a little bit intimidating if you're not involved in kink and BDSM and hearing visual demonstrations like, oh, man, crazy. But do remember um, one of the one of the members of Kink Underground said kink is not sex. And neither is nudity. So definitely remember that if you're not familiar with kink and BDSM, remember that it doesn't always have to do with sex. 
a lot of people outside the community think about those two as kind of interchangeable, right? Especially with Fifty Shades of Grey, like kink just leads right into sex and all these kinksters that are just very sexual and these BDSM, it just turns into just a big orgy, right? But it's not like that. At least it doesn't have to be like that. They also made a very strong distinction between violence and BDSM. We chatted, we chatted about that quite a bit. Um, the biggest distinction, the biggest takeaway on that is violence causes harm. BDSM does not. BDSM may cause pain, but pain does not equate to harm. Okay, so we can kind of think about like A equals B and B equals C, so, but A does not equal C or something. Wait, that didn't work. Hold on. So A, well, I don't know. Math is hard. I don't, I don't want to do equations. This is not algebra. This is kink. <laughs> and speaking of distinctions, I also really loved their distinction that they made between a power dynamic, which is how a lot of people refer to this dominance and submission idea, and a control dynamic. Okay, so power dynamic is really, you know, in my opinion, in their opinion, kind of the wrong terms to be using because everyone still has the power, right? Even for someone who is, you know, in in more of a submissive role, you st- they still have the power to say no at any point. You never lose your power. But a control dynamic, that's a little bit different. Who has the control in this situation? Well, I do because I'm the dumb or whatever, you, whatever you've negotiated that way. So I thought that was a really interesting distinction as well. So as far as topics in that particular um, session, I caught the very end of a discussion on rope play. And then we, we talked a little bit about sensation and impact play with, again, with some demonstration. They brought their whole little like tool bag with all their stuff and had it laid on the table, which I thought was the big distinction between this particular group, Kink Underground, and some of the other sessions, not necessarily just at this at this um, conference, but other sessions on BDSM in general, BDSM 101s type things, is a lot of times we talk about things, but we don't get to see them. And so that was a great thing about Kink Underground. So we did some, uh, we talked about some impact play and got to see some things. Um, we talked about a lot about aftercare. We talked a little bit about reclaiming pain. We talked about subspace and setting up communication, not only just communication, but these kind of safe words as well as fail safes to the safe words as well. So, again, really interesting. It was a nice long session. So even though I only caught the second half of it, I still got a lot out of it. Um, I highly recommend Kink Underground if you have a chance to check them out. They're really fun people as well as really giving a really good uh, presentation. So you can head over onto Facebook and like them. As I mentioned all the links for everybody that I'm talking about going to be in the show notes page for this episode, burlesquestripdown.com slash sex down south. After that, I had a moment to decompress, grabbed a drink, you know, <sighs> decompress from a big day. Then we had our evening keynote on Friday, which was the, the Tao of Submission, or the Tao, depending on how you say it, Tao or Tao, T-A-O, of Submission by Orpheus Black, who, like many of us, says that he is on a mission to normalize sexuality. So despite the fact that he is an award-winning BDSM master, this particular keynote was less of a lecture about BDSM, despite the title, right, The Tao of Submission. It was really less about BDSM and more of a conversation about submitting to one's own desires, whatever they may be, which I thought was really, really fascinating because I wasn't sure going into it. I was like, okay, well, he, this guy is a big leather master. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's a little intimidating, right? But it was really just a conversation, um, really open you know, he told some stories about his life, just really talking about submitting to your desires and being okay with it. Again, getting rid of this guilt, right? Those kind of things. One big, again, I'm I'm big on the distinctions that were made. One big distinction he made was the idea of subservience versus submission. This idea that when you submit either to your desires or to, you know, another another person, if you're if you're in a dom sub or, or a, any sort of relationship like that, it's not subservience. It's not the idea that you will always do whatever they say, no matter what. And the same with your desires, right? You're not subservient to your desires, but you might submit to them. And I thought that was a really interesting um, kind of distinction that he made. And my other favorite term that we coined, and this was quoted a lot by many people throughout the weekend, was emotional glory holing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's brilliant. Right. Most of you, I think, know what glory holing is and the idea of doing that on an emotional level. God, that's what we do all the time. It's crazy. We do that 24 seven. So good. So good. That evening, we had the celebrity mix and mingle up on the rooftop. So we got a chance. We all got a a drink ticket and got a chance to kind of mingle around a little bit. I talked quite a bit with Sinclair as well as a couple other people. And then downstairs, back um, after the mix and mingle, we had there were two events going on at the same time, so we kind of hopped into both a little bit at the very end. One was the Iron Slut, 
which was kind of an Iron Chef type competition, which was really, it looked fun. We only caught the end of it. And the other one was the Smut Slam, which I really loved. It was a fun storytelling competition where everybody got to go up there and kind of tell, they had five minutes to tell their smuttiest stories. And they were, you know, kind of given given scores and there were prizes and all of this stuff. And there was also something called the Fuck Bucket, which was real fun. People got to submit their questions or their stories or anything like that into the Fuck Bucket. So much fun. Afterwards, you know, we had a little social stuff. There was nothing organized necessarily by the conference, but we um, we met up with some people. We went out to a bar. We had some good times. So Friday night was quite a good... Friday in general was probably my favorite day. It was really, really fun. Before I get into Saturday, I really quick want to just let you know, if you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying the season of sex that we... season. Sex that we got going on right now. Um, if you're interested in supporting the show, I do have four ways that you can do so. The first one is to join the burlesque strip down posse. Although I'm thinking about calling it a squad. What do you like better, posse or squad? I don't know. The squad, the posse. We'll see. So I'm looking for team members and ambassadors to help me kind of make some of these big projects that are, you know, rolling around in my head. There's so many things I want to do, but there are so few hours in the day. So I need some help. I'm looking for people to join the squad or the posse. Mm, I don't know. I don't know which one I like better. (laughs) Anyway, to join up, to spread the good word of Burlesque Stripped Down, and to help make these projects a reality. So if you're interested in joining up, head to burlesquestripdown.com slash join the posse. And you'll be able to fill out a little um, interest form, and then we'll chat more over Skype. You can also support me on Patreon. We have a brand new Patreon page where you can donate as little as a dollar per month and get some exclusive rewards and just help me kind of pay for the hosting fees, pay for some new technology, and have some more time to kind of, like I said, work on some of these projects. You can also head over into iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Those do help us kind of get more uh, higher up in the search rankings. They have these crazy algorithms and things. So the more ratings and reviews we have, the higher we'll come up and the more then we'll be heard by more people. So please, if you have a second, that would be hugely helpful. And lastly, number four, a very simple share of this episode or any other episode with your friends, with your colleagues, with your troop, anybody that you know that might be interested, just let them know. Just let them know about the show. They can go to burlesquestripdown.com. You can share them on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. So those are four different ways that you can support. If you have any questions about any of those, you can let me know. I don't think I gave you the address. If you want to support on Patreon, it's burlesquestripdown.com support, by the way. So those are the four different ways, but let's go ahead and get back into Saturday at Sex Down South. So Saturday, once again, we didn't quite make the morning sessions. (laughs) Um, It's hard when you're partying the night before to get up early in the morning. So we made the afternoon sessions and I headed into a session called Lights, Camera, Action, The Art of Erotic Expression in Film. This was headed up by Onyx Keisha, who is um, uh, an erotica, I think, director, producer and actress, I believe, um, in the Atlanta area, who is very kind, very approachable, very wonderful. We talked a lot about the, um, the difference between erotica and porn. Um, which I definitely equated a lot to the difference between burlesque and stripping. The same way with erotica and porn, neither one is better than the other, but I think there's a distinct difference. And I think it's one of those kind of you know it when you see it differences. So we really tried in this particular session to break down what it is more than just you know it when you see it. And so a couple of things we talked about, we talked about the intention of creation Right. So why is something being created? What is the um, what is the purpose behind it? And that can kind of give you a, a, an idea as to whether it's porn, which is usually intended to, you know, help somebody get off. Right. Or if it's erotica, which is, you know, kind of has a different different intention to express that that sexuality. Um, and then same with burlesque, burlesque and stripping. You know, stripping typically has the intention of making the stripper some money, right? And 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 uh, turning on the patrons enough to pay for more dances. Whereas burlesque typically does not have that intention. It typically has more of an intention of an ex- of expressing some idea or um or in- invoking an emotion in the audience. We talked about the fact that there's imagination present usually a little more than porn in erotica. Ooh, we talked about the fact that it's. Porn is typically just observation, whereas erotica is often more experiential. Not that you're like, not that it's like 3D or like virtual reality involvement, but just that there's typically more of an experience rather than just watching what's happening on the screen. And along with that, the idea of 
passiveness versus activeness, right? Erotica is typically something that's more active. You're actively involved. And again, I would say the same thing for burlesque and stripping. Um, in a strip club, you're typically, as a, as, an, as a patron, you're typically just observing what's happening. You can't touch, right? You might give some money, but you're typically more of, a, more of an observer. Whereas at a burlesque show, it's much more active and interactive, I would I would say, in my opinion. If you have any thoughts on that, definitely send me an email and let me know. And again, I will emphasize, neither one is better than the other. I'm not, I'm not putting down strippers. I'm not putting down porn um, producers or, or actors and actresses. It's just that they are a bit different. And along with that, so we discussed in this session as well about how we all have to, we all really need to overcome our own prejudices and our hangups so that we are able to respect and not judge other artists, right? So I see this a lot in the burlesque community. Um, and as a matter of fact, very recently, there was a bit of an argument on a certain Facebook group um, discussing strippers versus burlesque performers. And people still, despite the fact that we often get up on stage and take our clothes off too, there's so much like, oh, but I'm not a stripper. Oh, but I'm not this. Oh, no, no, I'm not one of those. And I even see it in myself sometimes too, so I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. But we need to examine that for ourselves and kind of learn to deal with that. So Onyx, um, the, 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 run, uh, the leader of this workshop, she told a story about when she was on a panel, one of her first panels for her film, for one of her films, and she was brought on with all of these different porn, um, I think they were directors, or at least producers or actors, I forget who they were, but porn kind of stars, right, in one sense or another. And in her head, she was very much just like, oh, but like, they're porn. I do erotica. That's different, you know? And it wasn't necessarily super negative, but it does have that kind of internal, like, distinction that you make. And so anyway, so it was a really, it was a good conversation that we had of talking about being able to put aside those judgments and just respect everybody for being artists as a whole. And then after we had that nice big discussion, it was really, it was really kind of intense and good, um, we had we kind of broke into small groups and we actually did, produced a little erotica skit, okay? So it, we weren't obviously doing any film on it, but we did a little skit and it was erotic, but there was no touching. So that was our one kind of guideline with it. We could not touch. There could be no touching in the, in the skit, but um, it still had to evoke those kind of erotic feelings. So we, my group, we did a fun little version of the dating game where it was more erotic. And so that was really fun. We used a lot of verbal methods to invoke eroticism, to invoke that feeling. And the other group, they did a scene in a library. And it was much, it was really interesting because it was much less verbal, very visual, a lot of innuendo, a lot of those kind of things. But really, um, it was interesting to see how the two groups took two different tacks to it, right? And then we talked a little bit about the three, the stages of film production, the pre-production, the production itself, and the post-production. So really great um, to talk about. Again, I think my biggest takeaway from that particular session was um, that discussion, that distinction between erotica and porn, and yet how we can make the distinction without judging the distinction at the same time. It's a really tough topic. It's a really something that you know you have to kind of delve into with other people and on your own. After that, we were, we were feeling a bit kind of, uh, you know, I, I was feeling a bit mentally drained. Again, this was kind of the last day. I'd had some intense, not just sessions, but intense evenings and all of that. So we actually forewent, uh, for foregone, <laughs> um, the, some of the more intellectual workshops and instead went to erotic energy play. This was done, uh, this was run by Ananda Lila. And we, so we basically did two activities in that one, one that was called breath fucking, <laughs> which was basically kind of getting in sync with breaths and working with the energy that way. And the other was about chakra opening. Now, I will say I'm a bit of a skeptic. I have trouble accepting the idea of energy specifically. I, I don't necessarily think it's bunk, but I just have trouble with it. Um, but regardless of all of that, after this hour workshop, the results were that I felt very relaxed. I felt more connected to my partner. So I don't care whether it was energy or whether it was just like a meditative experience or whatever it was. I don't care. The result was that I felt better. So I really enjoyed the hour. Um, it, was, it was good to have some visualization. It was good to kind of 
decompress a little bit. Uh, I think we really needed that. And it was good to be more connected with my partner as well. So it was a great, great experience. If that's something you're interested in, I have some notes on, um, sorry, some links on Ananda Lila, who does some tantric uh, yoga as well as some tantric energy uh, work and things like that. And that's all in the show notes. Now, the very last keynote, this was the closing keynote. This was by the one, the only, Sunny Megatron. And you may be familiar with Sunny. She has a show on Showtime, actually, called Sex with Sunny Megatron. And she's really fun and um, has, you know, a lot of experience in the industry and all of that. And so she did a keynote called The Revolution Starts in Your Bedroom. And she really took on this theme of the weekend, which was the politics of pleasure. She had a we had a long discussion about what the politics of pleasure means to us personally, like what what how we would interpret that. And then she went into talking about some of the political things. And one of the biggest takeaways, uh, one of the biggest quotes that she had and everybody was talking about it afterwards is the idea that the personal is political and the political is personal. Especially for me, this was big because especially in this election, people um, are kind of judging me because I have unfriended some Trump supporters that are on my Facebook. And this is probably going to make some people stop listening, too. Although I don't know how many Trump supporters we would have that would listen to a burlesque podcast. Let's be real. But for me, I don't think I've ever unfriended somebody in past elections for supporting um, a different candidate. But for me, this is so personal because... Again, I don't want to get too far into it, but for me, no, not just for me, here, in general, if you are a Trump supporter, in my opinion, that tells me something about who you are as a person. It does. And I don't want those type of people in my life. So I've made the decision that for the most part, I'm kind of unfriending people, especially if they're people I haven't talked to in forever anyway. But anyway, but so, and for me, what I've realized and what Sonny emphasized is that no, 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 people are always like, oh, don't take it so personally. It's just politics. Bitch, I'm sorry. Politics is personal. This is affecting my life, especially as a woman, especially as a queer woman, especially as a human fucking being, right? This is personal. And pretending otherwise, it's really just denial. It's really just a way to say that I'm better than you because I'm not taking it personally. So that was a huge, both aspects of that, of that sentence. The political is personal and the personal is political really struck home for me. And I hope it does for you as well. We also talked about a few actual political issues. In particular, we talked about Prop 60 in Canada. Canada. In particular, we talked about Prop 60 in California. Of course, if you are in California, please, please, please vote no, or at least do some solid research. It sounds like a great proposition because it's about the safer sex in porn, blah, 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 blah. Please vote no. It's an awful proposition. Awful, awful, awful. And we're actually, I'm actually going to be doing a follow-up episode on it. I am interviewing some people that are um, a bit more knowledgeable than I am. And um, so if you are living in California, please have a listen to that. It should be coming out sometime next week. Um, and if you don't have time for that, at least um, a friend of mine um, called Elo Steph, she is a YouTube, um, I guess a YouTube celebrity. Good for her. Um, and she has a a video called Safe Sex, where she follows around uh, Susie Q, who is um, one of the proponents, one of the oppo- opponents, I guess, of the uh, Prop 60, as well as a veteran performer and director uh, called Mick Blue when he gets tested. So she follows around these two and kind of explores some of the some of the issues surrounding it. So definitely, if you at least have 10 minutes, listen or watch that video. It'll be linked up in the show notes. And then if you have some more time, listen up for my Prop 60 episode coming next week. Sunny also went on to talk about how, really, about activism and how basically all of us who practice any sort of abnormal expression, whether it's sexuality, whether it's gender, whatever sort of abnormal, and again, this kind of goes, maybe we'll say non-average, right, since we're talking about average versus normal, but any of us who have any of this non-average expression are activists. We are, just simply by being We don't have to feel guilty about not being more active. I mean, we can always be more active. But I've started to say armchair activist for myself. I know it's not maybe the most positive way to put it, but I am, you know, I am working to become a more active activist. But, um, you know, Facebook is still a platform for expressing these things, even if it's a little limited in its reach. But so we are still activists simply by doing something that's a little bit outside the norm. And Sunny's greatest thing, I, and I hope she joked about putting it on T-shirts, and I really hope she goes through with it. So, Sunny, if you're listening, do it. It's fucking for freedom. 
<laughs> yes, I love it about this personal and political. It was so good. So good. Um, I highly recommend Sunny if you have a chance to check out her show and more of her, some of her videos. And that night, as I mentioned, we had The Big Bang. The Big Bang was phenomenal. So much fun. It was a big show. There were, um, it was a variety show. We had burlesque performances. We had spoken word. We had musical artists and the Punani Poets, which have just the best name in the world. Um, a lot of just so much stuff. It was just so much art being done up there on stage. It was produced by Andre Shakti, who's also a burlesque performer. And she's going to be on the show next week. Um, talking about Prop 60. So definitely listen in for that. And it was hosted by Love the Poet out of Baltimore. After that, we had a dance party. And there was also something called the Black Box Photo Booth, which I think was around all weekend. But it was really popular during the dance party, which was a nice little, you know, small little black, well, decent size, could fit about four people in it, black box photography session. So you had a chance to kind of go in there and get some photos taken. So, oh, and that was it. And so we, we partied the night away, and then we went, home, went back to the hotel, went to sleep, and got up and came home the next day. So really an intense conference. And, and the thing is, there were also so many other sessions that I wanted to go to. Uh, real quick, let me give you a rundown of some of the other sessions that were there that I didn't get to attend. There was uh, queer and trans sexual health. There was white people serving as allies for people of color in alternative sex communities, colon, using white privilege against itself. There was um, permission to receive pleasure, achieve a pleasure-based lifestyle from the neck down. There was cock confidence. There was making open relationships work. There was sex, HIV, and the new millennium woman. There was, oh, this one I really wanted to go to. I was so bummed that I slept in. Mega sexual, demystifying and destigmatizing the slut. Ooh, must have been so good. There was reclaiming the words used against us. There was bondage and meditation. There was a cuddle party. There was a gender agenda. Also really wanted to go to that one. There was clear connections, convulsing conversations, phone sex, sexting, and beyond. There, oh, this was another good one. Oh, stupid mornings. Who we fuck is political. Desire mapping and decolonizing beauty standards. Oof, must have been so good, Ashley Shackelford. Reflexology for lovers, prostate massage for beginners, erotic hypnosis, sexual health through hypnotherapy. And of course, G-spot and squirting with Sunny Megatron, loving, lovingly objectified advanced dirty talk techniques, black liberation through sexual pleasure, flying high under the thud and introduction to impact play. There were so many, so many sessions. I wish I could have cloned myself and gone to 15 of them. So overall, I thought it was a completely mind-blowing weekend. I thought that the organizers, the presenters did a fantastic job. All the volunteers, thank you to all the volunteers that were working there as well. Um, it was They did a really nice job of normalizing a lot of things about creating this safe space, not only to express oneself, but also to learn, to ask questions, right? There was none of what you feel sometimes where... Um, I will say in some of the alternative communities, and even in burlesque, we feel this too sometimes. If you're not knowledgeable enough, you're not good enough, we kind of, uh, people that are more knowledgeable might kind of look down on you. You kind of feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm over here and they're over there. This one is a really, really inclusive. And even if you weren't experienced, even if you weren't knowledgeable, it was a safe place to ask questions, to approach people, to find out more. And that was, I think, probably what I appreciated the most, as well as having a much more diverse, particularly with people of color, um, representation, because you don't get a lot of that at um, sexu sexuality conferences or even many burlesque shows and things. So that was huge um, and much appreciated for that. Um, I think my only wishes for the future were, again, I, I thought I think the flirt room was a huge missed opportunity um, that could have been a lot more publicized and a lot more fun. Um, and I don't know how to do it differently, but I just wish I hadn't had to miss so many sessions. But I suppose that's the nature of the beast when you have so many amazing presenters and only three days. And I also would have liked to see some of the some of the keynotes because all the keynoters also gave presentations. They also did workshops and sessions. And I wasn't able to attend any of them, particularly because they were all right before they gave their keynote. And I think if some of their sessions had been after their personal keynote, it might have increased attendance because I know, for example, with Orpheus Black, um, I didn't go to his sessions, but I might have gone if they were after his keynote because I really loved his keynote and I might have wanted to learn more. So I think that was also perhaps a missed opportunity. But I understand also for scheduling, you know, some people can only be there one day. So 
Overall, Sex Down South, amazing. If you have the opportunity, I would love to connect with you there next year. I'm assuming it'll be next October, again, 2017. So if you um, are going to be there, please let me know. If you want to create maybe a burlesque stripped down little squad posse kind of meetup while we're there, let's do it. If you're heading to any other sexuality burlesque um, alternative community conventions, I'd love to hear more because basically I really just want to spend my life just going to conferences all the time. My wallet's not going to like it, but that's pretty much what I want to do. (laughs) And definitely keep listening in because the rest of the season of sex, uh, we're going to be interviewing a lot of different people, not only people from Sex Down South, but there will, I've made a lot of connections and I will be bringing a lot of people onto the show and discussing kind of that intersection between burlesque and sexuality. So that's the recap. Whew, that's a lot of stuff, a lot of big takeaways. Definitely, I talked about a lot of things and I'm sure it was hard to keep up. So if you have a second, head on over to burlesquestripdown.com slash sexdownsouth. You'll get kind of like that, that visual breakdown of all the different sessions, um, as well as links to find out more about all the presenters and what they've done. And if you have any questions or if you want to know a little more about what it was like to be there, definitely um, email me, velvet at burlesquestripdown.com. You've got all the links as far as supporting the show. Keep in mind, if you want to join the team, I'm looking for teammates. I would love to talk more with you. If you'd like to support the show, uh, burlesquestripdown.com slash support. It will be taken to our Patreon page so you can donate. Um, share this episode with all your friends, anybody that you think would be interested. And leave us an iTunes review because that really helps us out. So my friends, we are actually right in the midst of Asexuality Awareness Week right now. And so I have another episode ready to go. It may be going up kind of at the same time as this one. So definitely make sure that you have a listen. It is Hannah Lee. And by the way, I just got her name. I literally like talked to her for like an hour and did not understand the Puff the Magic Dragon reference. So amazing. (laughs) Um, But anyway, my interview with Hannah Lee is going live right around the same time as this. And we talk about that kind of intersection between asexuality and burlesque, which is a fantastic conversation. So have a listen to that. And the episode after that will be a little happy birthday episode because it is Burlesque Stripped Down's first birthday, one year old. So definitely tune in for that and for the rest of the season O sex here on Burlesque Stripped Down. My friends, thank you for sticking with me this whole time. I know this is a fairly long episode, but I appreciate you tuning in and listening to the very end here. So send me an email with some of your biggest takeaways from this episode. And until next time, make sure that you stay sexy.